We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to break down the Giants' win. Yeah, that's right. It's a win. It is so much more fun to break down the All-22 Coaches film when it's an actual win versus a loss. We've had two wins now in seven games. I don't care that it was the Panthers. I don't care they've been trending down. I don't care. When you beat a team 25-3, to it's a good win. It's fun to watch the film. You don't have to bury that film like we did, like I proverbially, or proverbially did. For that Rams game last week, I talked about how I was going to take it out back and Rex Ryan hit and just buried in the dirt of Las <laughs> Vegas with Jimmy Hoffa. Now, Jimmy Hoffa is actually buried somewhere in the in the Meadowlands, they say. But 
This one was the opposite. It was a fun game to watch. It's not like the most fun game to watch. Giants didn't have the most explosive plays on offense, but they didn't really have opportunities to. When you don't have Andrew Thomas, Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, Gadarius Tony on the field, or Sterling Shepard, you just simply won't have that many opportunities for explosive plays, especially when your offensive line consists of Matt Pear, Matt Skira, uh, Billy Price, Will Hernandez, and Nate Solder. Like, I just think on paper you can't field a, a worse offensive line than Jason Garrett was tasked with fielding, and that's why this game was exciting to me because we finally saw a big, big chess match win for the Giants on the offensive side of the ball, and that's what we're going to get to in today's podcast. This is the All-22 Coaches Film Offensive Breakdown. We're going to break down just like we do every week. Every single drive, key takeaways from each drive. We're going to go over superlatives, players that were unheralded on film, players that stood out, routes, our favorite route of the game, our favorite player of the game, the best player of the game. And we're going to go into some 30,000-foot few topics as well, including the play calling, Daniel Jones and his progression, and the offensive line play, which I thought was more schemed around for this game than literally any game so far uh, since Jason Garrett got here. I actually can't remember, Nick, a game. I'll ask you this. I'll kick it off with this, Nick. Can you remember a game that you've watched since you started doing the podcast with me that was more schemed around the offensive line than this one? The only one that can even come close would be Washington last year, the first Washington matchup when Andrew Thomas was really, really struggling. Matt Parrott got into that game, actually showed some good reps. I felt like Jason Garrett did a good job kind of slowing Montez Sweat and Chase Young down in that specific matchup, but not to the level of this game. Jason Garrett really, really did a phenomenal job using Phil Snow's aggressiveness against him, and we saw it in so many different ways. We saw it in ways that didn't necessarily work out, like the tight end screen that could have hit for a huge play, but Jeremy Chin is one heck of a player, and he made a great play on Evan Ingram, and we also just saw it with all the move the pocket, the bootlegs, the play action. How many times, Dan, did... Jason Garrett run a play action pass and all the linebackers bid up to fill their assignments. And then there were just literally five, six, seven, eight yards of just separation between a quick slant and any defender. It was insane how the aggressiveness of Phil Snow was used against him. And we just have to applaud Jason Garrett. If we have to give a game ball to anybody, man, it's probably Garrett. We'll get into the game balls in a bit because that'll be a fun one to talk about because it does really honestly feel from watching the film. I know we said this uh, on the quick reaction show as well, but then you kind of watch the film. You watch from both angles, the end zone, the sideline, and you kind of get to confirm your thoughts or sometimes change them based on the film. That's the fun part. The film will often yeah. change our opinions, but this one was confirmed. I mean, he outmaneuvered. He, uh, he won the chess match against Phil Snow, and it was interesting going into this game. I read a quote before the game from Phil Snow talking about how over the two games before this, teams had kind of fit, not figured him out. He didn't use those words, but they. But Phil Snow said like teams were really adjusting to what the Panthers were doing defensively. And as you mentioned, Nick, it was the most aggressive game plan defensively the Giants have faced all season. And that was going into this game without, and the Giants were going into this game without Andrew Thomas. So they needed to come up with something different. They couldn't have just marched out the same thing they've been doing the first six weeks and expected to win because that could have led to turnovers. Those turnovers looked could have led to game-changing plays and Giants could have ultimately lost this game in a weird ugly way even without limiting you know even while limiting the Panthers on the other side of the ball but what Phil Snow said was teams have been adjusting to my aggressive plan by using max protect and we haven't been able to get pressure in those two games before this Giants game well what the Giants do they double chipped defensive ends double chip not just one two on six of the third downs, six times on third downs, the Giants used two chippers. According to Dan Orlovsky, uh, Jason Garrett called five design quarterback runs, zone reads, or options. 
He got the quarterback out of the pocket seven design times on design rollouts or speed outs. And then he had four hardball play action passes. So actually that last one went over even my head. What exactly does he, am I, am I just, Oh, you know, reading too much into this. What is the difference between a hardball play action pass and a regular play action pass? I'm not exactly 100% certain on the okay. terminology of hardball. I'm I'm guessing maybe it's just the way they sell the sell the play action and it's not a rollout type of situation or a bootleg which is something that was heavily involved in this in this uh scheme or this uh plan I should say. So maybe that's what he's referring to, but I've never heard that term before. Yeah, I never heard that term before either, but regardless of that, the point was all of these things were designed to counter what Phil Snow was doing, aggressive style defense, and to make up for the fact that, again, Matt Parrott, Matt Skura, Billy Price, Will Hernandez, and Nate Solder were your starting offensive linemen. Everyone's going to say, oh, the injuries, the injuries. Well, Gates, that's a bad injury. Thomas, that's a bad injury. But come on, a lot of these guys they expected to go into the season with. Right tackle, right guard, left guard they didn't expect, but Shane Lemieux was really bad last year. So this is kind of the position Dave Gettleman has put Jason Garrett in and Daniel Jones in and they have to adjust to it. And they did in this game. Now for me, Nick, I am a bit skeptical of the long-term uh, success rate that this could have. Obviously, if you have a game, if the defense plays anything like it did in this game for the giants, um, you know, good, God bless. You can win with this strategy. You can design these roles. You can kind of, you know, come up with this type of game plan to win ugly football, but Overall, to win in the NFL, you need to be dropping back. You need to be, you know, operating a passing game over the middle of the field from a drop back standpoint and working those intermediate to deep ranges, something the Giants really didn't do. I mean, they took one deep shot the entire or sorry, two deep shots the entire game. One that Jones was off on a throw with great protection. The only good play of good pass protection the entire game where he missed Slayton early in the game. And then the second one, which should have been a touchdown. <laughs> Once again, by the way, Nick, we'll get to this in the breakdown, but. I can't. I thought I wouldn't see this maybe once. No, I'm sorry. I said I should say I thought I would never see this once in all 17 games. Now I've seen it twice in like the last three games. The Giants had a seven man pass protection, and somehow there was immediate pressure from a four man pass rush. This is on the play uh, where they ran, I believe, the Mills concept, and Slayton was, you know, basically wide open for a touchdown. If Jones just has an ounce of time there, he's dropping that ball in over the top for a really fun looking, easy, great touchdown. That's super exciting, but. Despite using seven in protection, Billy Price just has an embar another embarrassing rep. And as I go through this film, man, I mean, this is back-to-back -back weeks for me with Price where I'm just like, he looked awful. He looked god-awful to me in back-to-back -back weeks. I know the matchups are tough for him, but I don't see any long-term future with Price. We'll get to that as well. But again, Nick, it was an interesting game plan. It, like That play to me, I'm bringing it up right now because it highlights just to me like this is all Garrett could have done. There were no options for like, you know, trying to run any kind of normal passing game. He tried it sometimes. And every time he tried it, there was immense pressure uh, on Daniel Jones and the Giants. So really great game plan to give your team a chance. So anything else before we dive into this drive by drive, Nick? Now let's get into a drive by drive. But one thing on that deep mills concept, man, that was going to be an easy touchdown. And Billy Price just gets beat to his inside shoulder, I guess, if you want to call it that, because he's a center man, just gets freaking swum right over, dude, on this play. And I want to just got to pitch this, bro. Matt Skura, he's not a great player, right? He, he's a replacement level player. But when, what do you do in pass protection when you're going up against a wide nine alignment with Nate Solder as your right tackle and then a one technique? 
with Billy Price as your center? Like, who are you going to help out in that situation? Because yeah. you have basically two gigantic liabilities in pass protection, and you're not necessarily a great football player in your own right. It's a tough spot. And he ends up helping out Nate Solder there, and I get why. Why nine? You know, Nate Solder may set in an awkward way and give an easy angle inside, so it's good to have Skura there. And you expect Billy Price to handle, you know, that one shade there. It just did not work out. And that's something that's kind of been consistent on film through seven games with Billy Price. Definitely, I agree with you. It doesn't seem like he's going to be the answer here, and he's a free agent at the end of the season. And he had a decent stretch where I thought maybe he was starting to get things together, but it's been bad the last two games. Really, really, really bad. And he just, to me, he's just so often not balanced. Like, he's just so often playing. It seems like, this is not the right term, but playing from behind in the snap in the sense that, like, he just, it's not that he's lost out there. He's not, he's capable of doing certain things, but he just doesn't have this, I guess, the speed or he's the balance. And he just seems like he's playing on his back foot all the time. Like, it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of, like, in tennis, when you kind of, like, when you don't set your feet and for your ground stroke and you kind of hit off your back foot, you can never really generate power. And that's not his his problem all the time. Sometimes it's just quickness and speed, but he's just always playing from behind. It seems like to me. And I just, I don't see it changing at this point in his career. He had all these bad snaps with the Bengals and now he's having bad snaps with the giants and it just is what it is. He's a, you know, a liability. Like you said, the giants currently have two massive liabilities out there to go along with two mediocre to bad players in will in will Hernandez and Matt Skira. And then until Andrew Thomas goes back, they have they have uh, Matt Parrott, who we can talk about in this game. But I know, I know the num the raw numbers look good for him. I didn't think he had as good of a game as the numbers said, and we'll get into why in a little bit. But let's dive into the drives first here. So let's start with the first drive here by the New York Giants. Um, obviously, they try they want to get points on the board here, but they were unable to. So break down uh, some of the key takeaways from this drive. Dan, dude, love that opening play, man. The 12 personnel H-back motion zone read. And there wasn't a lot of success on this drive. And I think we saw a lot of concepts that are, you know, something we saw quite often throughout this season and even last year in Jason Garrett's offense. But that opening play, man, 12 personnel, sniffer motion, zone read. Jones, he reads that unblocked end man on the line of scrimmage, and then he's forced to make a decision. If that guy bites down to stop Devontae Booker, you keep it, you follow your lead blocker, Evan Ingram. And he did that. They used this play several times throughout the season so far, and they also used it a little bit later in the game. I think that was a nine-yard gain. This first play was a 14-yard gain. I really like the design here. It puts the ball in Jones's hands. He makes a decision. He puts a defender in conflict, and it's the defender that you don't have to block, so you basically gain an advantage here because if that defender bites, as we talk about, you just – Take the ball and you follow your lead blocker. Did that twice in this game. Love that. And we also just saw some empty mirrored slant flat with that OTB route from the number three receiver. It's a play that we've seen several times from Jason Garrett as well. What I mean by mirrored is both you're in empty. So both of the outside receivers on each side, they run the same concept. That could be a slant flat. That could be a double slant. In this case, it was a slant flat. And the number three receiver the innermost receiver on the strong side runs an OTB route, which means over the ball. So basically he runs about six yards and snags and then just kind of curls over the football and shows his hands to Daniel Jones, about six to seven yards downfield. Also saw GH counter on this play. And how frustrated were you, Dan, when we saw the one play that could have sprung for a long gain? It was before the second and 11, so it was a first and 10, but the backside defender kind of just got Devontae Booker in the backfield. But when you look, man, Nate Solder, if he just got enough of this guy, it would have kind of probably led to a nice game there. Did that just frustrate you? It was so frustrating to see. Like a lot of people on this drive were kind of talking about, uh, you know, Matt Parrott blew it. He didn't make that block on Jeremy Chin. 
I know like there's a lot of times where people will, will discredit uh, an offensive lineman in these situations, but when you watch it on film, you can just clearly see it's just an individual great play by Jeremy Chin. Like if we had Peppers yes. come up and make a play like that, we'd be saying it's a great play by Peppers. So that's not a good example, but the one you brought up of is because, you know, Nate Solder, it's not a hard job to execute here. He just can't get it done. It's just, a st- he just, at this point, there's really no reason to have him on the field other than they have nothing else possible. They say that Isaiah Wilson's not ready. He's not up to speed. They don't have really any other tackles to go to with Andrew Thomas hurt. So I hope that maybe Wilson can get into some kind of football shape faster than expected, I guess, because like I think it, I don't think Wilson needs to know much to play better than Nate Solder out there at this point. It's really it's as bad as people are saying, like it's not like I'm not trying to kill the guy. It is what it is. But like it is as bad as people are saying when you watch the film, you just see it. There's like I, you said it a couple weeks ago, Nick. I was like, let's break down. Why? Why is this? Why is he so bad on film? And, and like you said, there's just no anchor anymore. There's no. It's not, and it's not just that. He's, he has nothing to his game. So he has no anger, so he can be bull rushed off spots. He when he, he can let people in on the inside super fast without even getting his hands on them. And then he has no bend around the edge, so he has to kind of overcompensate for those types of moves as well. People are trying to beat him around the arc, up the arc. So it's just, there's nothing there left from him in pass production. And then in the run game, he's not offering much as well. And like you said, here's an example of him blowing a play. So, yeah, the key takeaway for this drive was I thought it was going well. Like, I was happy to see Garrett come out and re and reestablish that zone read running game because this was the game to do it against an aggressive defense like Carolina when you have these kind of injuries at off on the offensive line. Perfect spot for Garrett to come out and show early, listen, this is going to be something you have to defend against. We are going to run with Jones today. And then, you, like you said, they had a nice little pass play after right away and then just seems to bog down with just – as always, man, it just seems like bad. To me, it seems like poor execution in the offensive line. One player here, one player there, depending on the play, seems to be a key factor in why these drives bog down. Yeah, man, the 15-yard pass that was on the slant flat play that I was mentioning before, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And then they run that GH counter, and I would like to get into Nate Solder's head here. I'm not 100% certain what uh, he was thinking or what he was being told because on this play, it's a counter play. So basically the – the running back's going to be a little bit delayed. So 53, he crashes on the backside here, right? And you see Nate Solder go to kind of block the three technique with Will Hernandez pulling. So he's trying to scoop block that three technique, but this is a pin pull concept. So you have the center who it does not have a nose over top of him. He has a one shade that's going to be blocked by Skura, who blocks down on 95, which is what you expect. Why is Nate Solder trying to block 95 too? Why doesn't he take that unblocked defender? Right who's who's a pursuit defender in the backside i I just want to get into his head to to kind of know exactly what he was being told or 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 what he was thinking in that certain situation because you don't expect solder to make mistakes he's been around the game for a while and i'm not 100 certain as to what if there was a miscommunication here or whatnot but it just doesn't make sense for him to try to scoop the 95 on a pin pull concept he has to focus on 53 there if you're going to have the tight end climb to the second level to go after jeremy chin yeah that's an excellent point you would think that a player who's had as many snaps as he has wouldn't be making mental errors. I don't know if that was the case here, but regardless, Giants are forced to punt. Then the Giants actually get the ball back here after a really shanked punt by Carolina. And they put together a nine-play, 39-yard drive, and then they get into the situation where they're first in goal at the Carolina two and somehow come away with no points. So we'll get into the goal line series because... The Giants are now dead last in the red zone percentage, dead last in red zone tension percentage they were before this game. But it's not just that. 
and, and we'll get into like the, the specifics, but it, to me, it's also that they've had a lot of these like first and goal at the two type situations. Not like they're a lot of these are like first and goal at the eight or first and goal at the nine or 10. There's been plenty of these that have been first and goal inside the five. Like it's unbelievable. Their, their lack of execution play design in the red zone. It's, it's at new levels of bad. Like you watch any team across the NFL and they execute better in the red zone, any team, this is dead last. And they've had great field position within the 10, I'm sorry, within the five, the three, the two yard line. So before we get to that, anything before that on this drive that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I really liked how Garrett worked the play action boot, man. I think that he ran, I think four plays, he rolled Jones out off the play action in, on this drive, man. I love that. And every pass of this drive, it was a rollout as well. So, you know, you also saw fullback dives, all couple zone read runs. So I liked this drive up until the point where Kyle Rudolph's touchdown got called back and he did step out of bounds too. I mean, Kyle Rudolph leaked in there, you know, he was able to shed the tackle and you see his foot go out of bounds. And I remember when it was yeah. scored, I was like, Oof, I don't know if that's a touchdown. That's going to get called back. But I was like, Hey, you know what? The giants have three plays. They'll figure out a way to punch it. And no, I did not feel that way because I've watched a lot of this giants offense. I was like, <laughs> this could be ugly. <laughs> this could be ugly. But you know, at the end of the day, it was great because the defense stepped up, but let's, let's get Let's get into this this goal line effort, if we want to call it that from the Giants. Yeah, I was actually thinking when they, when, when Rudolph was ruled out and he was out. So we knew it. I was thinking, I was watching my brother and my dad were like, damn it. This is going to come off Jones's stats. We just, we hate to see Jones. Get, <laughs> there's so many plays. It feels like over Jones career where he's like throwing a pass and the guy's been like out at the one. And then it's a rushing touchdown. And it's just like, well, that's really Jones's touchdown. But the Giants came out of this and they lined up in the same exact formation with the same personnel for four straight plays. And this is just something that we've seen a lot of out of Garrett this year, that being the same personnel and the same formation. And not only that in general, that's a horrible idea, right? Like in general, you want to be keeping defenses off guards. You want to be forcing them to make substitutions. You want to, you know, get catch them potentially in a play where they're not ready. And you can't do that when you just line up in the same personnel and the same uh, formation. But what makes it worse is the Giants are not built right now to be a team that lines up in heavy in heavy formation, or I'm sorry, heavy personnel in a tight formation. That's just not what they are right now. You can't do that with Matt, with that starting with those five on the line and your current group of tight ends and no Barkley. And then Barkley doesn't even matter to this. With those five on the offensive line, you could just end it right there. You cannot be doing that. You need to be spreading it out. Maybe run some zone read down there. Maybe run an option. Remember they ran an option? Maybe run an option down here. Who knows? Maybe run a little. I don't know, pick play between your receivers, get the pass out to the flat, anything but this run a flag run, you know, run, run a flag route where you're throwing it towards the sideline toward the pylon and the back pylon, but not on a fade, but it's like a, you know, a little rub route, anything, but you just, when you come out with the same formation for four straight plays and you're, you're working against what the current strength is of your offense, it's really bad. Like I'm giving Jason Garrett a lot of credit for this game. So are you Nick, but Something I'd love to get you talking about. You want to get in the mind of Nate Solder. I want to get in the mind of Jason Garrett and figure out why this is his plan right now to score a touchdown. In my opinion, I don't agree with it, but I think he, he came out there from the first play. They ran it and then he wanted to come out there on the second play and run the fake based off of the same look that they showed on the first play. And then the third play, that's where you spice it up. This is a fourth and one. And I guess they thought, look, Devontae Booker can jump over the pile. We've seen that this season. Let's give him an opportunity. But the, these are not the second second level defenders that you want to do that against with players like Jeremy Chin, players like these linebackers. These guys are really, really aggressive. They're trained to shoot their gaps. And especially in this situation, they're going to do so and you have an offensive line like 
Billy Price, man, Matt Skur, what are we doing here? So I 100% agree with you. I, I hated this goal line effort here. And even if Devontae Booker got in, I'd be saying the same exact thing because it lacks imagination, which right. is one of the biggest criticisms of Jason Garrett. And again, we love what Jason Garrett did in this game, but this was the uh, the black eye of his game plan. And I'm glad you said that because it's not just about it's not about the results. It's about the process. This is a bad process. Even if the result yes. was a touchdown this time. You don't want to be using that as a reason to continue doing a bad process. And that's been, you know, I've been talking about bad process for a while. For the last four years, we've we've had a team that's had a bad process in the management area. So it's led to some bad results. But the results immediately or even long term aren't always indicative of the process. So you really need to follow the process. That's the important thing here. When you come out with this formation four times in a row doesn't work to your team's strengths. It's a bad process, but of course it leads to the safety because at least they didn't kick a field goal. Giants get the ball back now down one point here. And again, really, really great field position for the Giants starting at their own 37 yard line uh, after who was a punt. Was it? Yeah, no, it was after the safety. Sorry. After the safety 37 yard line. And they put together a decent little drive here, six plays, 32 yards before it bogs down uh, with an incomplete pass to Darius Slate. And this is the one I was talking about earlier where Jones really did have great pass protection on this one, but he, it was, it was an off target throw from Daniel Jones. So in my opinion, it was, it was the, his worst throw of the game. Daniel Jones uh, obviously wasn't really a game with many great throws, but this was certainly his worst miss of the game. It was the only play with good pass protection, but this play did feature one of the best plays of the game as well from a giant, not Jones, but from another player. So maybe you want to start with going up over that one and then anything else you saw that could, uh, caught your attention on this drive. Yeah, Giants were able to get some points on the board here, which is something that, you know, the offense wasn't able to do up to this point, even though the defense got that one safety. And they used the same zone read on this play that they used as the, to open the game with Evan Ingram. They picked up a, a solid chunk of yards, nine yards there, but that was – before that was the 27-yard catch and run by Dante Pettis, and it was just another slant route, man. It was just, look, you're going to play press on me. You're going to play man coverage. So if you're going to play press man coverage, and remember, press isn't always jam. Jam is some action. That's initiating contact. Press is an alignment. That means I'm right up in your face. If you're going to align like that, you need to win your one-on-one -on -one matchup as a defender. So Dante Pettis just takes 24 to school here on the slant route, fires his feet at the top of his stem, uses a hard outside jab foot, and then just creates separation with his hands and his athletic ability, provides it a great throwing window for Daniel Jones, who diagnosed it well. The linebacker, which was Jeremy Chin in the situation, who was over the top of Evan Ingram, had to follow Evan Ingram because this was man coverage, so there was no one around Pettis, and he took it for 27 yards here. And then the Giants almost hit another big play the next play, David Sills, and he ended up dropping the pass, but Sills actually got open on that route as well. It was a pretty nice route by David Sills. You just got to hold on to the damn football. And then on the third and six, we saw the follow concept from a bunch formation, but Daniel Jones liked what he saw on the backside of the play and decided to throw the football to Darius Slayton. It was just the throw wasn't there, and I would agree it probably was his worst throw of the game, but you like the follow concept. We've talked about it several times on this podcast and Jason Garrett loves to use it in these third and manageable type of situations, third and six, third and seven, especially against zone coverage, zone match type of coverages. But Jones decided to go with Slayton there, but I love this individual play from Dante Pettis, who just had a great game. Despite not having huge numbers, the kid really, really stepped to the plate with all of these injuries to the wide receivers. 
Yeah, despite not having huge numbers, but also he stepped up despite not really having much time with Daniel Jones this season. Like this was the first week of practice. He probably had any chance to play with Jones. Even that was a bit limited in the sense because they tried to gut, you know, Shepard through a little bit of the practice with some limited sessions. So limited reps there, limited time to build rapport. But this is a, kind of the play. The, the, the big catch here was the biggest passing play of the game for the Giants. It's the kind of the play where you kind of see like why Matt Waldman, for example, who I was a huge fan of, like, uh, who I am, sorry, a huge fan of Matt Waldman, for those who don't know, breaks down uh, film. He's a really good film analyst. I think he had Pettis as like his wide receiver one in that class or his favorite somewhere high in those rankings because Brad Kelly did too. And Brad Kelly as well because of his route running, because of this ability to separate off the line of scrimmage. And it really does make a difference for receivers. I, in my mind, like the, the, your ability to release off the line of scrimmage and your kind of like your footwork and your route running is that is it's not everything, but it's like to me, it's one of the biggest factors uh, for receivers. I think that's how Jordy Nelson made such a really great career. And I've heard Aaron Rodgers talk about his footwork was unparalleled to any receivers ever played with. Devontae Adams is another example of this. And so is Cooper Cup, two of the better receivers, if not the best receivers in the NFL right now. Um, neither guy has blazing speed. Neither guy runs a 4-4. And so this is just, just another good example. Like, I have been critical of the management. And rightfully so. This team has been god awful for four straight years despite having all the draft capital in the world and uh, owner says go ahead spend nuts in free agency but one thing you have to give credit to them for and i will give credit to them for is how they've built out this wide receiver core i don't know if there's a team in the nfl that's built out a deeper wide receiver core than the giants you may be able to argue some teams maybe you want to say the Bengals. i don't know whoever has built a better receiver core even that i think would be up for debate depending on the ceiling for tony but deeper no because They've been knocked with injuries. Shepard, Galladay, Tony. It doesn't matter. Slayton playing hurt. You have guys up and down this depth chart who can contribute. Like, for example, Dante Pettis, who, like you said, played his ass off. And in my mind, besides Daniel Jones, who we'll get to, was like the only great player for the Giants on offense in this game. The only really good player for the Giants on offense. I'm saying no one else played okay in average, but no one else really played that good in this game on offense besides Jones and Pettis. And so it was really great for me to see him make this play and this drive. Obviously the drive didn't end how we wanted. I already talked about that play. Anything you could add to that Jones miss there? Or do you think he just kind of just missed the throw? Yeah, I think he missed the throw. It's third and six. And again, like I said, he ignored the the bunch to the, to the field side here. So he must've really liked the, the leverage that Darius Slayton showed releasing outside in this one-on-one -on -one matchup because the center field safety was not going to be able to get outside of that divider line. And you look at the route from Slayton. Slayton, he has a slight leverage to the outside, but I feel like 28 is kind of on top of it. This would have been a difficult play. We've seen Slayton and Daniel Jones connect in similar spots, but this is probably a decision I wouldn't have made if I was Daniel Jones and I'm nowhere near Daniel Jones. So let's not get that misconstrued, but you have that bunch. You have that bunch formation down at the uh, bottom of the screen that I feel like you probably could have had a little bit more success with Dante Pettis over the middle of the field because the coverage was going to stick to John Ross, who was going over the middle of the field just before Pettis. That's the follow concept that we were just referencing before. Yeah, I could see that, Nick. I could definitely see that. For me, I'm never going to knock a guy taking a shot long on third and six. I think the one of the biggest edges in the NFL is the quarterbacks who take the shots long on those third and short situations. It's really a great way to ge uh, generate a big play. And like you said, the, the center field safety is never going to get over there. But I will knock him for the ball. I mean, you got to put this ball in a spot where your receiver can at least put his hands on the football. It's nowhere near Slayton. It's a really off-target throw. And so, you know, a lot of people... 
won't really think about this play or knock him for this play, but it, it deserves to be knocked because the pocket was super clean. He was throwing from a completely balanced base. There was not even an ounce of pressure on this one, but it's all right. Basically, hit, yeah, he hits his back foot and he and he fires it right away. It's a very quick bang bang play. And credit to Slayton though for kind of getting to where the ball goes. Right. But if Jones could have put it a little bit more towards the pylon and, and kind of yeah. not like, like, like there was about three and a half yards and to the sideline is where Jones put the ball. If he could just put it more towards the pylon and kind of into the end zone, he would have to be a little bit more patient or put a little bit more touch on the football. This could have been a, a much better outcome, but that's not what ended up happening. And that's kind of what it is too. It's like with all of Jones's deep balls and he's a really good deep ball thrower. So this is not a, no- I mean, this is a knock, but it's not to say it's the total evaluation of him, but with all his deep balls, he doesn't, he doesn't tend to put a lot of air under them for receivers to and, and throw them, lead his receivers to run under. It's kind of just a bit of a dart. Not necessarily a dart. It has its own arc to it, but it's really a line. It's on a line a lot of these times. And we've seen this all throughout Jones's career on the deep balls. And this is kind of another one where if he just kind of puts a lot of air under this and lets, uh, like you said, toward the pylon, let's Slayton run under it, he might be able to run under this one. He'll at least have a better chance than uh, what he, you know, what he put out there there. So not a great throw yeah. from Jones, but it's okay. He can miss the, the he can coverage, miss every now and then. The, the coverage is is pretty solid as well. But did For you sure. see Pettis? Look at Pettis's route though, man. And I love him, you know, get him get him in motion a little bit, get him on the move. I really love that route, man. And look at the flexibility in his lower half to just sink into that outside jab foot before yeah. he breaks back inside, man. That's a really, really uh, nice route from Dante Pettis there. Yeah, just watching it now over as well. You're right. That is a great route from Pettis. So I, I guess the easy solution there is just to go to Pettis there. I mean, that's a first down probably if he gets the ball out to Pettis. I think, like you said, though, he kind of hits his back foot, makes his mind up. But yeah, that's a, that's an easy first down with Pettis, maybe even more, honestly, after the catch. If Pettis can turn the Jets on in that situation, I don't know if he would have been able to get uh, past Sean Chandler. He probably enough. could have made a tackle, but he could have got maybe to like the 10 yard line there. But I like, like you said too, and I think you bring up a good point. I'm not, I don't want to fault Daniel Jones for, for throwing deep here. It just depends on what you're trying to do, but you have to, it's all about reads, man. It's all about reading the release of Darius Slayton there. Do you think Darius Slayton actually has leverage? And it doesn't look like Slayton really cleanly wins off the line of scrimmage there. But Fair enough. Jones, if you if you watch Jones's eyes, he's looking at Sean Chandler and he sees Chandler go towards the strength of the formation, towards that bunch. And that's where he's like, okay, I'm gonna fire this ball no matter what. Because once he once he peeks and sees Chandler flow towards the strength, he already makes his mind up, turns his hips towards Slayton and fires the ball. Yeah, you're right. And Chandler does take what is it, one two steps toward toward the strength, so toward the bunch. So yeah, it, it is what it is. It's just a miss here. And like you said, as you're watching it over, not really much separation from Slayton there. That's a route you kind of wish you ran with uh, with maybe Tony or with uh, Galladay. But again, those guys aren't on the field. So they settle for three, but they take a 5-3 lead. And then this is when Darnold throws. Oh, my God. This interception was so ugly by Sam Darnold. I guess he was trying to fit a ball in there, but we'll talk about it in the next pod. But, geez, this was a bad interception. So the Giants get the ball back here. Sudden change after the interception. But once again, they bogged down here. Uh, you know, six plays, 33 yards has kind of been the story of the game so far. These six play 30 ish yard drives. What stood out to you on this drive? I love the first play, man. Play action, double Y, 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 pass to Slayton that went for 15 yards. Yep. Linebackers again, dude, what they do? They bite, man. They bite. Just those play designs with those play actions, they were really, really good. And, and the, the Panthers just couldn't help themselves, man. They were trying to really stop the run there. And then you had a second and seven play action rollout. I, I thought had pretty good protection for Jones. Slayton was open on that curl, but Matt Parrott decided to just go for a jog. It seemed like he ended up like 15 yards downfield. I don't really know what he what he was thinking there. The Giants ended up getting that he 
that uh, ineligible man downfield later, they take it a legal formation. So again, th- this offense wasn't perfect in this game whatsoever. It's definitely something that we have to kind of keep into perspective. And that set up a third and 10, which Daniel Jones, he ended up getting sacked. It was a simple ET stunt that Will Hernandez just didn't sense at all. And this is the frustrating inconsistency about Will Hernandez that we always talk about, Danny. He just doesn't sense things that you feel like a veteran guard should be able to pick up on. And it, this was just an easy ET stunt. He just didn't even know it was coming. And these little issues, man, three on this drive, they just destroy the drives with these little tiny mistakes. And those mistakes typically lead to drive killers, which typically lead to losses. But luckily that didn't happen for the Giants on Sunday because they were facing a Panthers offense that was basically inept with Sam Darnold. Yeah. And even on that play, Nate Solder doesn't do much better either. I'm rewatching it now. Uh, You know, this is consistent with these TE stunts against the right side right now with Solder and Hernandez, really any side Solder's on. And then, like you said, Hernandez has these flashes of just really bad play. It's why people get, people are asking me today, Nick, it's like, hasn't Will Hernandez been consistently average enough to, you know, re-sign this offseason because, and and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough question for a lot of reasons because the answer to that is no, but at the same time, the answer to that might be yes. And why does that make any sense? Well, because this is the NFL. You just can't find starting offensive linemen very easily in the offseason. This is especially true for the Giants, or this will especially be true for the Giants this offseason because they're completely handicapped by the salary cap because they went all in on this offseason. They front-loaded all these contracts. They restructured the likes of Shepard, Logan Ryan, Bradbury, Martinez, like several guys. Uh, Leonard Williams has some of his cap hit pushed back. They don't, Unless they're going to keep pushing these cap hits back, which is possible, they might be forced to. You really can't be players for any kind of free agents. And anyway, even if you want a starting offensive line free agency, you can't really find one unless you go the Jack Conklin route. You pay like insane amount of money. Like when you start to go the Patrick Olame route, you get like a Patrick Olame. When you try to get a free agent <laughs> for the six to seven million range. So, I mean, you might be able to do what like the Ravens did. And you got like a Zeitler cheap because he was cut and he doesn't count against the uh, com- compensatory pick formula. Those will maybe pop up once, twice in offseason max, but they're going to be in a tough spot because they can't really like they're going to need a new center if Gates can't come back from the injury. And it looks like that could be a case. They're definitely going to need a new left guard. Those two are givens. They might need a new offensive tackle as well if Matt Parrott doesn't play well in the second half. So that's maybe three positions. They got the draft, but you can't rely on the draft to start three starters. So they may be kind of forced to start Hernandez. Um, and so that's something I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on that right now. What do you think is going to happen there? What would you do? So I think Ben Bredesen f- kind of figures into this situation. And Ben Bredesen was a- acquired because of the state of the interior offensive line in 2021. But I think he's also a part of possibly the long-term solution for the left guard position. And I know that's not something that's necessarily great, but you said it best, Dan, the Giants are in a tough spot here from a salary cap perspective. And you have a player who's replacement level, but is serviceable enough. And I think the Giants may have to settle with him if another team thinks Will Hernandez can come in and be a salvageable piece and a fix and a kind of a fixture on their offensive line. It's not something he's proven as a New York Giant. He hasn't had the best situation, but at the same time, other teams with more salary cap are going to go after offensive linemen with high pedigree, which is Will right. Hernandez, somebody who's still like 20, 25, 26 years old. So I think that could be the, the end result for the Giants, Ben Bredesen being the starter, or the Giants end up drafting a guard, and then there will be some sort of battle depending on the draft capital they spend on said guard between Bredesen and that player. And they might be able to do something like move Skura to center and then kind of get rid of I mean, Price can't be a <laughs> – Price is not probably not going to be a part of this team next year. He's not 
it's not working out there. I I, I would have rather, I, honestly, I'd rather have Skura there right now and anyone at left guard and then BJ Hill still on the roster. If I'm being completely honest about the situation, because that's how, that's, that's what price is giving them right now. But I mean, they took yeah. a chance, whatever he had first round pedigree, but to that point, like, like you just said, you nailed it, Nick, the fact that, you know, the giants were still willing to take a chance on someone like that because of his draft pedigree. I mean, someone's probably going to be willing to take a chance on turning Will Hernandez's career around based on their pre-draft eval of him. They probably had a similar eval to Gettleman. Like, oh my God, we're getting a first round guy at 34. And so we'll see what happens there, but they're in a really tough spot. And it's interesting, but like you alluded to, like this started, he makes a big mistake on this drive. I also thought the first pass to Selene was really good design, but that was a bad ball by Jones too. It wasn't a horrific ball because it was completed, but it's a bad ball. It was low and, and Slayton had to kind of fall to his to his to his stomach to make the catch. So that one obviously not his best throw. I didn't think I thought Jones was a little off to start this game. Obviously, he came back down to earth later in the game and just kind of just made general plays to help the Giants win with his legs and then with you know with his hands. Um, so that's why I thought he had a good game, more so than the kind of the passing. And again, it's not his fault. He has no offensive line, but this drive, like you said, was a good example of kind of the microcosm of what this offense is right now. It's never, it's not going to look pretty until they get these guys back. Um, One more thing about the Will Hernandez sack is I'm wondering if there's communication issues along the offensive line, something that we've seen several times, because if you watch Billy Price, he shifts to his left initially, and he ends up helping Matt Skura kind of pick up that exotic stunt that was on that side. But don't you think, Dan, like Will Hernandez, he's no, he's no dumb, dumb. Wouldn't he react to that stunt if if he knew that Billy Price wasn't going to be there? Do, do you think maybe Will Hernandez thought Billy Price was going to be present and that's why he allowed the looper to go there? Like it, It's one thing I think we should consider. I don't know if it's 100% uh, what actually happened, but I, I just kind of wanted to put it out there just because we, we have been hard on Hernandez. I think a lot of it is warranted, but I just kind of wanted to pitch that out there. I'm not sure exactly what went on there. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's it's kind of hard for us to know from our vantage point, even watching on either of the, you know, all 22 coaches film angles. But it wouldn't surprise me at this stage that the, if communication is still an issue, there have been, you know, a lot of different pieces on the offensive line. Even now, like they're, you know, they flipped from the Dallas game. They flipped Parrot to the, to the left side and put Soldier on the right side, which was a good move. I mean, you can't have Soldiers your left tackle today. You shouldn't even have them to your right. So that could still be a problem for them for sure. But it's hard to tell. All right, let's dive into the next drive. Before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so now it's 5-3 after the Giants force another. Uh, or no, this is, this is I believe, after uh, the interception from Sam Darnold. And the Giants get a, a you know, a short, not a short field, but a, a quick turnaround. And they go six plays, 33 yards. Uh, before punting, so I believe I actually said the the last one was was it was uh, the drive where they went four plays in five yards. This was a six play, thirty three yard drive. Just correct the last one uh, that we went over earlier. Anything in, uh, that stood out to you on this drive just before the two minute warning? I like the sixteen yard pass to open the drive from from Daniel Jones. It was the first pass of the drive. There was a Devonte Booker no gain run that was just stopped by Frankie Luvu. But I really like this play because if you watch pre to post snap, Sean Chandler. And number 24 on the Panthers, they're, they're kind of acting like there's going to be some sort of man coverage with 24 kind of blitzing. And you could see Dante Pettis call it out right before the play. But right as the ball snap, 34 drops to a deep responsibility and 24 kind of sticks to Dante Pettis there. And this is a slant flat combination to the field side, right? So while this is happening, the field side linebacker who's playing right in between the hashes blitzes. So what does that mean? That apex defender stays in man coverage on Dante Pettis. And then the safety who was acting pre-snap, like he was going to have man coverage bails deep. And then that linebacker blitzes is going to be a huge throwing window for that slant. And Daniel Jones, man, you could see it. You could see where his eyes go. He sees 34 bails. He sees 24 isn't coming on the blitz. And he knows that there's going to be a huge throwing window. So way before Darius Slayton even enters the throwing window, Daniel Jones is rearing back to throw this football once he sees 24 attached to Dante Pettis. And this is there, there have been several plays in this game, and some that we're going to get into in a little bit, where Daniel Jones did a phenomenal job reading pre to post snap, something we have been 
critical of him of. So I really wanted to kind of tip my hat to him because this was one play and there was one a little bit later that I want to, that we're going to break down. But uh, I wanted to kind of get your take on this. I mean, did you see the same thing I did here? Yeah, you read that perfectly, Nick. And that's just another good example. Like he's taken steps that I've been impressed with. I had a conversation today on Twitter with, uh, I believe it was uh, Mike Too Nice. I think he does content about the Giants. About how at this point, like I'm, very comfortable with going into 2022 with Daniel Jones. I know there's some Giants fans who are like, this is it. We got an elite franchise quarterback. He's proven it. Obviously, I'm not there yet. I think that'd be a little crazy to do after just a few games. And I need to see more of the Saints type games where he's cooking in that, you know, 10 to 15 plus passing range. And I don't know if I'm going to get that with this offensive line, which is not his fault. But the point is, at this point, he's shown enough to me that I'm really comfortable moving forward with him. And I'm, I'll watch these draft prospects, these quarterbacks, but I'm not going to watch them like, you know, I watched a couple of years ago where I was like, you know, uh, or not even a couple of years ago, because it's it's been kind of, we've been set on Jones, but like to the point where I'm like, we're get we're make, moving on from, right? Because of little things like this, like improving with pre to post snap, his, his, his improvement within the pocket. That's where it really stands out to me. I, I think that's been by far and away his biggest jump so far during the 2021 season, feeling pressure, anticipating pressure, maneuvering with his feet, maneuvering within the pocket awareness. And cause he's always had the poise. He's always been willing to take a hit before throwing the ball, but all those things, despite all the issues with the offensive line, but this is a good example of what is even more important than that, than that, because that to me was just a basis. Like he needed to get that base level to even be a competent NFL quarterback. But if he wants to become a really, really good quarterback, this is it. This is the stuff. It's not pocket awareness. It's not, you know, being able to maneuver in a pocket. That's baseline stuff. It's the ability, ability to read uh, pre to post snap. That's what it's all comes down to. That's what makes Drew Brees, Drew Brees able to play through for how many years that's what makes Tom Brady able to play for how many years yeah Brady still throws a great ball but he also has this in his arsenal it's what makes him so good so this was a great example of that like you said there were a couple examples that despite again a limited arsenal for Jones to work with when it comes to the offensive line the game plan the receivers so good example of that I also thought he threw a nice ball in the eye uh, later in this drive to John Ross nothing special but threw it on a dot Gave Ross a chance to make a play after catch. Ross almost broke one after the catch there. But eventually this drive does bog down when uh, the Giants get into, I believe it was a second and nine, and they have the then they have the intentional grounding call on Jones. So this one to me, I'm not I know it's intentional grounding. Some people blame the quarterback. I gotta blame the offensive line on this play, man. I mean, the offensive line does just such a horrific job on this play. Yeah, the offensive line was horrendous. Billy Price, you could just see him turn his back and and try to chase the defender who's just about to just absolutely murder Jones. And credit to Daniel Jones for getting rid of the ball here. Jeremy Chin breaks through. Jeremy Chin also almost knocked that John Rawls pass down. Just an incredible athletic jump there, which was another kind of instance of Phil Snow's defense just biting up on the play action aggressively. And Daniel Jones just being like, much obliged. I'm going to fire this easy pass at John Ross. But Chin didn't make it too easy, man. He almost got a piece of it there. But yeah, you, you got to get rid of the football here. There was a receiver kind of in the area. If the receiver didn't break inside, then I don't think this is going to be an intentional grounding. But I don't think it's an egregious call or anything like that. The protection up front. You just run just linebacker twist. You have to figure out a way to block this up. Just also, man, I know we praised Aaron Donald last week, and Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. Jeremy Chin is no Aaron Donald, but Jeremy Chin is Jeremy Chin, and Jeremy Chin is good. <laughs> yeah, he's a great player. We kind of knew that. I remember loving him going into the draft. Like, me and you were like, this is the type of guy who could be an excellent fit for any defense, the Giants defense, any defense. doesn't really matter. And it was a great scouting job. Good job all around. But, I mean, if you're Billy Price here, like, 
you just can't have this rap. Like you can't put this on film where you're just it, and and watch like watch Price on this rap. He's just always backpedaling. He's always on his back foot. He's never he's never moving forward and he's never balanced. Not even moving forward, just balanced. He just he just doesn't look to me like a like a quality capable starting center in the NFL. I know he had the draft pedigree. I know he looked okay at Ohio State. But like he just hasn't looked that good for any of the NFL teams he played for the Giants or the Bengals. And you just can't let a 21, like a safety come around you like that. Like get a damn hand on him as he's trying to come around, move your feet to the side. Like he just lets him cleanly get around him from the right side to the left. It's just crazy to watch this one from the end zone angle. Yeah, it's it's frustrating too, man. It really is because again, this could have been a big play. Yeah, and we've seen the earlier drives where dumb mistakes, like an eligible man downfield, an illegal formation, and here we have the intentional grounding. Yeah, quarterback shouldn't have done it, but at the same time, is he supposed to get murdered by somebody who's coming right up the middle? This isn't edge pressure. This is right in right. your face. Like, what are you supposed to do? It's it's a difficult spot for Daniel Jones to be in. Yeah, and like we said, what did we say earlier, Nick? Seemingly one mistake by this offensive line bogs down a whole drive. And they could have got points on this drive and, and gone into the half with, I don't know, an 8-3 lead instead of a 5-3. But ultimately, they don't. Uh, they punt. Carolina punts. We go into the half. The next play, we, uh, the next series, we start the second half off of here. The Giants go into have a three-play uh, drive where they lose 12 yards. So what exactly happened on this one to slow this drive down? Yeah, this is three plays, man. It was just incomplete pass to Darius Slayton off the play action. 26 kind of played the slant really well here. You still see the linebackers bite pretty aggressively, but this was more of a deeper slant, more of a dig type of route or an over route. If Darius Slayton kind of put his foot in the ground and ran and kind of planted his foot and ran the slant and the angle towards the 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 goal post at the 30 yard line instead of the 36 yard line, he might have entered a throwing window that would have been open, but this was a little bit too deep. Daniel Jones put the ball kind of behind him and then 26 knocks it away. Daniel Jones kept the ball in the next play on, on a zone read and, and Brian Burns just absolutely blew it up. And then he was sacked. <laughs> he was sacked for 10, 10 yards on, on the next play, which by Derek Brown, who was just an absolute beast. Solder was beat bad inside. Snow rotates his safeties from middle field closed to too high match type of defense, but it was kind of irrelevant because they got immediate pressure right away. Yep. Just like you said, I mean, tough look here for sure. Um, just <laughs> this offensive line, man, I don't know where to go from here, but it, it was obviously holding them back in this game and kudos to Jones, kudos to Garrett for working around this thing. So now we've got a five, three game still seems like one of those weird games where the giants are like, are they going to crack on defense? Is, there, is the other team going to crack on defense and the giants force another punt? You know, five plays, 13 yards. Giants get the ball back here with a good opportunity, uh, despite being backed up on their own 14. And they and once again, they just can't do anything with it. It's a three-play, six-yard, three-and-out. So anything to take away from this one? Not much, man. It was just two bad plays by De – well, I don't even want to say the one was a bad play by Devontae Booker. It wasn't really blocked up well. And then he ends right. up dropping a pass. And then it was just a check down to Evan Ingram on a third and 12. Just punt. We're deep in our own end. Let's just kind of rely on our defense here and have them step up. And they did. And they did. And then finally, this is the drive of the game. This is the one that really not only seals the game, but takes all the momentum, gives it to the Giants. 11 plays, 75 yards, starting from their own 25. A lot to talk about in this drive. Obviously, it had the Daniel uh, Daniel Beckham Jr. catch, the uh, Odell, the one-handed catch. Best play call of the game, best catch of the game, fun play. I mean, 
I think um, who was it? Maybe Bobby Skinner was talking about it on Twitter today. He was talking about how like Jones. It's funny to watch Jones on that play because he just gets up like nothing happened. It's just that's like such an Eli. Like, Eli would do this if Eli had the athletic ability, which he did not. But if Eli had the athletic ability that Jones has to make a play like that, he so would get the hell back up and just <laughs> and look to go move back toward the huddle like nothing happened. So fun drive. What else stood out to you before we break down that play? Yeah, before we break down that play, I mean, like you said, it was by far the best drive of the game for the Giants offense. Featured a third and 12 conversion, a play action, a rollout, a weak side quarterback option that went for 11 yards on a third and one. Love to see that. Passes along the line of scrimmage to pick up some easy yards against soft coverage. Just kind of take what the defense gives you. A quarterback draw, slant flat, number three OTB, same play that we saw earlier in the game. That was, I think, the third time, actually, they ran that play. And then a beautifully designed three-by-one, number three flat route underneath vertical releases from the number two and the number one receivers. It was a great man-beater, and we criticized the heck out of Jason Garrett and this offense in terms of their ability to score touchdowns when they're near the goal line. But that was a great play to take advantage of man coverage. You know Phil Snow loves man coverage, loves press coverage, so run that play and have Dante Pettis win his individual route. Also use some pick pick action from uh, Darius Slayton there. So I really like that. I really love the slant flat OTB play because the Carolina Panthers adjusted their coverage on that play as well. Their apex defender, man, and this was the play I was referencing before with Daniel Jones and his post-snap processing, their apex defender stayed in the original throwing window where the Giants have had success all game with those slant routes. And Jones, you could see, man, he quickly diagnoses it and fires the ball to the flat to Dante Pettis. Now, this play does not pop up on film. It was not a big game whatsoever, but you can tell and you know that a young Daniel Jones and a young quarterback are going to try to rely on that slant route and throw into that window. And that would have been an interception if Jones did that, but he saw the defender stay put, and that was by design. Phil Snow wanted that to happen. So he was like, okay, you're going to do that. I'm going to quickly adjust my intentions and find my flat route for a few yards. So I really like just the, the post-snap processing there. Again, not a huge play, but it's something and it's growth. It's development. And I love to see it. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to break that down because we've seen Jones make that mistake and throw that interception before or even throw that ball into a turnover worthy spot and it's been tipped and it's missed or the DB drops it. We've seen it plenty of times. It's been a big bugaboo for him. But just to see that, you know, an example of him improving on it, you want more. Keep stacking those plays, right? Like keep stacking those plays on film where he does read the play better pre to post snap. And he does not make that throw that could be intercepted. And as long as we keep stacking those plays, eventually we're going to get to the point where like, this is a quarterback who's not making many of those mistakes anymore. And that's what we want to see. And who's doing a much better job of processing tougher looks because it's not going to be easy in the NFL. It's never going to be what you, what you expect pre snap for hundred percent of the snaps. There's going to be a lot of snaps that you're going to have to adjust based on what you see after the snap. Um, and Jones did a much better job of that in this game. And, I think he's on somewhat of an upward trajectory there. I still think there were some mistakes last game. By the way, I don't think it's like fully linear. I don't think it's just like going up like a chart Absolutely. that's just like straight up. But I, st I think overall, especially given the circumstances, I mean, God, this offensive line, is just an absolute disaster. Given the circumstances, it's definitely going up. Um, so now 12-3, the Panthers punt. I mean, this all the momentum is with the Giants. Giants get a short field Don't here. you want to break down the Philly special, bro? Oh, yeah, we could break down the Philly special if you want. Go, go for it. No, I just uh, there are a couple other plays that I want to touch on before we even get to the Philly special. Well, that the play out first off, I want to br bring up the play that I was talking about and referencing was the second and 14. It was only a two yard 
pass to Dante Pettis. So again, not a huge play, but then you also have that Darius Slayton. This might be Daniel Jones' best throw, the 15-yard gain on the first yes. and 10 to open the drive, the play action bootleg, man, the way he avoids 53, Kyle Rudolph tries chipping him, does a solid job. And then Jones, man, the, the Jason Garrett in his game plan, he had those tight ends on the edge, slightly off from the wide position several times, influencing the end man on the line of scrimmage to go inside. You can't do that with most quarterbacks in the league. You can only do that to get a quarterback rolling out with a defender kind of coming in his face with guys like, you know, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones, because most quarterbacks are getting sacked in that situation. And I don't think we kind of acknowledge how impressive that is from Jones to be able to avoid those specific situations. And I saw it, I think three times in this game, three or four times in this game on these play action rollouts. I mean, on that play, man, 53 is right in his face, jumps and Jones just runs right around him and his ability to keep his eyes upfield and find Darius Slayton kind of crossing. That's that's a beautiful throw, a beautiful play by Daniel Jones. And I think I, I just had to acknowledge that. And that was to start this drive, man. It was a real spark plug to the entire drive. No, that one definitely has to be talked about. I'm rewatching that right now. It's the, it's that's that 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 lateral agility. We talked about it. I believe out of all the quarterbacks of the combine, he was number one in the three cone. He might have been one, two or three. I'm pretty sure he was either one, two or three in the three cone. Regardless, it's impressive. That's lateral agility right there. Like 53 has him dead to rights, and he just gives him a little shake move, gets around him there. And this is another example of like, yeah, Jones didn't have like the craziest game from just drop back, throwing the ball over the middle, you know, into that intermediate to deep range. But plays like this one where he's able to, you know, where it's designed to get him on the move and it's kind of drawn up well by Carolina. 53 gets to the spot. Obviously, when you have Nate Solder on that side, it's not hard, but 53 gets to the spot to make a play and he just gives him a little shake, gets around him, still keeps his eye upfield, like you said, and throws the ball in a decent spot. It's not the perfect throw, but it's a, decent, a good enough spot for Slayton to make that catch, especially while on the move. Uh, and I don't think Jones's throwing ability on the move is one of his best traits by any means in my mind. And I also feel like his processing on the move isn't his best trait, but if he's open, you know, it, this is still a play made by him, by his legs, by his ability to elude that sack. So great, great, great idea bringing that one up. I want to talk obviously about the Philly special as well. And I didn't want to fast forward too fast because I also want to talk about the touchdown at Pettis, which was nice as well. Yeah, dude. Also want to bring up the third and 12. That's a huge play. And it's it's not necessarily flashy. It's just Devontae Booker getting away from four, the linebacker, who's not necessarily a great athlete. But again, Daniel Jones, this is just a five-step drop. This isn't a move-the-pocket type of play. It's not a bootleg. It's not a rollout. It's not off the play action. It's a five-step drop. Nate Solder, he doesn't get beat around the edge, but he kind of gives Daniel Jones the space to jump into the pocket. But it, it could have been dangerous if Daniel Jones wasn't as aware as he is now. And the third year of his career. He senses the pressures, jumps up in the pocket, and then again, uses that athletic ability to extend this play, run laterally along the line of scrimmage, and Ford gets greedy, comes off of Devontae Booker, tries to hit Daniel Jones, and Booker's wide open. And don't love that Booker ran laterally for about eight yards until yeah. he picked up that first down, but he ends up getting the first down. I think that was a real pivotal play as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, all right, how about you want to break down the Philly special? The Philly special is the Philly special. I mean, we don't necessarily really yeah. need to break it down uh, per se. We, we all, we've all kind of gone over it ad nauseum at this point, but I love the fact that Shaplinski, the quarterback coach, Jerry Shaplinski had this in the game plan here. And, and it was a good ball by Dante Pettis, man. And Daniel Jones did slow down there a little bit, but uh, man, I just, I'm, I'm shocked that Daniel Jones was able to make this play, man. That kid's an incredible athlete, dude. Yeah, he's an excellent athlete for a quarterback. I mean, obviously the joke was they were going to try to convert him to tight end at the combine, which was a joke because he's obviously has the skills to play quarterback, um, especially the physical skills. But 
you know, he's still, that doesn't mean he's not a great athlete. So great athlete here, obviously anything to take away from the touchdown to Pettis. I'm rewatching it now. I don't, I don't think there's anything too special. I mean, this is the, this is a good example though, of like what they could have ran potentially on the first goal line red zone series from the two where they got stopped. Like come out like this, come out in the spread, right? Like don't, you don't have to jam everybody inside. Yeah, I, I brought up, I broke it down a little bit before, just a three by one set with a number three, releasing about three yards upfield, firing his feet, and then going underneath two vertical releases to kind of rub off the defender who's in man coverage there. And yeah. Slayton doesn't even really get a piece of him, but. Pettis is a good enough athlete to kind of run laterally and, and force that defender into a bad position. His release, Pettis, Pettis is released off the line of scrimmage. If you watch, he kind of gets his defender's hips oriented inward, and that is just enough space for Pettis to catch the football. Jones delivers a nice ball, and then Pettis takes a ride into the end zone on top of the defender. Yeah, definitely. All right, so 12-3 Giants. Giants get the ball back after forcing another punt from the Panthers. Another three and out, actually, so just really great defense. Not much yeah. on this next drive except for a really nice design, I thought, on the first one to get Jones rolling to his left and then throwing uh, to Ingram for an easy eight. They get one first, and they get bogged down, and Gano hits a 53-yard field goal. Just the weapon that Gano is to be able to do that, to put, you know, give yourself a 12-point lead instead of a 9-point lead here. Yeah, dude. Salt the rollout, move the pocket, 13-yard pass to Pettis on this drive. Saw two play-action rollouts as well, and like we said, it was a huge part of this game plan. I like that backside tight end block and release play that you were just referencing to Evan Ingram, something they ran quite often in this game as well. It's just easy yards. Just take what the defense gives you. Phil Snow, man, he just did a bad job adjusting to Jason Garrett, and we have to call it what it is, man. Phil Snow, through the first three weeks, was the talk of the NFL as a defensive coordinator, and Jason Garrett just adjusted his offense to defeat his defense, and Snow could not do enough to to kind of alter what Jason Garrett was doing. And I get it. The Carolina defense was put into a crappy situation because their offense was just absolutely abysmal, but still they, they couldn't do a, a lot to adjust to what this makeshift offensive line, Daniel Jones and all of the sixth wide receiver and seventh wide receiver on their depth chart. Cause the giants are down and they're just so unhealthy at this moment. And I also love the mills concept, man. It's just Billy price has to do a better job in pass protection on that play. Yep. Okay, now we got 15-3 Giants. Panthers punt again. Giants go on a 10-play, 32-yard drive that ends again in another long field goal. This one of 44 yards. Anything specific on this drive that stood out to you? Just a lot of different running. You saw inside zone, a little bit of duo. I think you saw zone read, saw power gap with the backside guard pulling. Third and eight had a left side rollout pass to John Ross that went for 12 yards. Ross did a good job kind of spinning out of the tackle, picking up a couple extra yards. I thought it was a great route from a stack, great concept from Jason Garrett. So again, a little bit more Jason Garrett praise right here. And then we also just had a bunch of Elijah Penny runs here. And at this point of the game, it, it was all but certain that the Giants were winning. Yeah, for sure. I thought Ross was the key on this drive. Made a really nice play to create a first down. And it's something that should have been kind of knocked out of bounds short. Just it just has that interesting, unique ability to stop and start. So that was key to me on this drive specifically. Nothing else really stood out. And then finally, the Giants punched one more touchdown drive in when kind of the game was just, you know, out of hand. The Giants had the ball after a turnover and downs. They ran a nice, but they did run a nice play with Devontae Booker. I guess the Panthers at the point had given up, but solid 19-yard touchdown by Booker. Yeah, YY set, man. Run to the strength. You're going to pull the left guard and you're going to, well, you're going to pull both guards actually on this play. The right and left guard both pull on this play. And you have Booker. It's a shotgun play. Just kind of enter the mesh point. It's a zone read action, but there was just such an advantage there with two pulling guards and then two tight ends to the strength, the boundary side, hand the football off to Booker. And Booker does a great job kind of cutting back underneath Will Hernandez here. And there's nothing but grass after he does that. 
Yeah, and, and nice job, you know, using power, using, you know, a power gap concept. I feel like that's, at this point, with what they have on the offensive line, that's what the Giants need to do. A lot more power gap if they're going to run the ball because the, the, there are so many problems with their zone running game right now. It's just like, it's not there. It's simply not going to, keep, in my opinion, get there with guys like Price, Skira, and Hernan- even Hernandez and Solder on this line. Like, it's just... They're probably not going to have much success in general running the ball for the rest of the season with this offensive line. But if they want any chance, I think it has to be more power gap stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just a, a good, well-designed play against an overfront with a three technique to the strength. You have Matt Pair block down on that three technique. You have Billy Price take the one technique. You pull both those guards, like I said. If you want a good block by Nate Solder, granted that's on the back side of the play, he kind of takes the linebacker. And again, it's a linebacker and just kind of drives him into the ground. It was kind of cool to see. But in pulling both of these guards, you have a linebacker and your force defender, who I believe is number 24, a cornerback out there. Well, the linebacker is also a force defender, so... So 24 is a secondary force defender, I guess you could say. But you have two guards running with steam there, and they both over-pursue because they're trying to force outside. And that just creates that huge cutback lane because the blocking from the tight ends, Caden Smith and Kyle Rudolph, are both really, really good on Jeremy Chin. And I don't, I can't quite see who the other defender is. I think yep. it's your two of actually. Yeah, who, who didn't have the greatest game, I didn't think. All right, no. let's get into some awards here for the Giants. Give me your unheralded player on the offensive side of the ball. For me, it's Dante Pettis, man. People are talking about him, but you know what? If you're the sixth receiver on a depth chart, everybody on that depth chart gets injured and you get to rise to the occasion at home and you're a big reason why they win, you deserve to be praised. So Dante Pettis, you're awesome. By the way, his post-game press conference, he, he's, he's a fun guy. He, he definitely has a lot of personality. So definitely go and watch that. Yeah, no, it was cool. He seems like a chill guy. I'm going to go with, I mean, Pettis is the right answer, but if they're looking for anyone else, I'll go with Slayton because Slayton had a pretty good game here for the Giants. You know, step back into a big role as the number one guy for Jones in the passing game, as he was in this one. And I thought he had a really good game here for the Giants. All right, best route run. This one's pretty damn obvious. Um, It's the Pettis uh, slant, cat, the 27-yard slant. Anything else? No, that's that's mine too. Best throw for you from uh, Jones. Would have been that play where Daniel Jones avoided 53, rolled out, kept his eyes downfield, and and found Darius Slayton for about 15 yards. I think that that's my favorite throw. Yeah, that was an okay throw. I thought, I mean, it wasn't perfect. I, I didn't think this was really a game of best throws for Jones. I think a lot of the plays Jones made for the Giants here were with his legs, you know, creating space to make throws and just giving the Giants the ability to have someone who can move off the spot and then still make a play despite not having good protection or who can make a play with his leg on design runs or even when he had to run when it wasn't designed. And then obviously as a receiver on one play. So I thought Jones had a really good game here, but uh, I didn't really see any too, too many amazing throws by Jones in this one. Um, best play call for you. Philly, Philly, Philly special. And I hate that it's the Philly special, but you can call it the, <laughs> I don't know, Daniel Jones special for, for this podcast. Yeah. He did it better than, than uh, Nick Foles did it anyway. Best player <laughs> overall on film. I'm going to go with Daniel Jones, and I, and I actually 100% agree with everything you've said. I, I don't think it was a huge game in terms of ball placement and just amazing throws from Daniel Jones, but the way his athletic ability was used by Jason Garrett and the way he uses athletic ability and just those little nuanced things we've discussed all podcasts lead me to Daniel Jones, not to mention the guy was doing it with his legs. He was making catches. He was, he was doing enough with his arms. So, yeah, Daniel Jones for me. My answer is also Jones. I mean, like you said, like – this is a game where in years past for the Giants, and obviously they've had one quarterback for so long before Jones. Like if Eli was their quarterback in this game, they're not winning this football game because they're not able to do the things that they were able to do schematically. 
with Jones and he's not making that catch. You know, he's not moving and avoiding a sack and then throwing the Darius Slate in there and all of the things of the, all that nature. So I just feel like in this situation here, it's a good example of how Daniel Jones specifically gave the Giants a chance to win in this one. Um, and so he'll get my game ball for this one. Give me a grade for the pass blocking one to 10. So pass blocking, I think I'm going to go with a 5.9, I think is where I'm going to go. And I think the reason I'm a little bit higher than, than probably expected is I'm analyzing it through the game plan of Jason Garrett. So I'm kind of taking everything collectively into account here. And they did enough to allow Jones to use his natural gifts. So I'm going to go with a 5.9. Yeah, I'm I'm giving a 4.9 here. I thought Solder was pretty That's bad fair. again. I thought I just feel like it was generally an average performance. Like even guys like Parrot who had good overall numbers in this game. The problem with Parrot is and just all the for all these guys is they weren't really asked to do anything. It was all just three-step drop stuff. Like the whole passing game was get the ball out quick. There was very few actual dropbacks. We talked about the one play where Jones missed Slayton on the deep ball. And that was great pass protection. And that was a decent, you know, five-step drop where he really had to set up. And it wasn't even a five-step drop, honestly. Jones got the ball and read the read the the, the safety post snap and kind of launched it. So it wasn't even like they had to protect for long, even on that one. So average 4.9, but I think even that is overrating it. When you factor in, like, the game plan, it probably was wor worse than average because there were some really blown assignments here in this one. Some, Like you said, the T stunt where Hernandez and Soldier screwed up, the the plays where Price just got destroyed and embarrassed on. And even Solder, there were a couple plays where Solder like let somebody get inside on him quick and just gave it up. And so ultimately, like to me, I probably thinking about it even again, I'm probably gonna drop it all the way like 4.1, 4.2. It's just it simply wasn't that good when you factor in like the game plan. You, yeah, you know what? I, I think I want to drop mine too, uh, kind of going over it all. I was kind of I think I was analyzing it uh, and also taking into account Jason Garrett and how he was able to scheme around it. But if, if I'm not taking into account Jason Garrett's scheme and just kind of analyzing the overall pass blocking from a from an evaluation standpoint, it would definitely be a lot lower than 5.9. You're correct. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Like, Garrett deserves a lot of credit, but I'm not going to give the lineman credit for that. And yeah. so, whatever. Fair enough. All right, let's do run blocking, create 1 to 10. Uh-oh. Yeah, 1.7, and that might even be, uh, be uh, a little bit too much. I mean... It could, I guess, be a little higher if, if you consider that 19-yard touchdown run. I thought that was really, really well blocked by the Giants, but it was at the end of the game. It was kind of in garbage time at that point, and the uh, and the Carolina Panthers' defense had just been on the field so much, and I know that was like the first play of the drive, but it's, it's not something that inspires any sort of hope for me heading into a game against Kansas City despite the fact that their defense sucks this season. It's just these – these offensive linemen, Dan, they're not good, man. It's not a great offensive line if we're going to be real. Yeah. I mean, you know that I'm going to give it 1.8. They just simply can't get anything going in their zone run blocking game. That just seems like a disaster that's not going to fix itself. They found like a little success, like at the end of the game and just like a few other plays with the, with some power gap stuff, but just like not consistent. It's not consistent at all in any way. They don't even have one play they can lean on this year. So 1.8. It's just really bad. Like it's hard. I'd be hard pressed to find worse teams doing a worse job as run blockers. All right. Any other final notes before we wrap up? Let's uh, let's, pay, let's look forward to Monday night football, man. That should be a doozy. It's going to be interesting. Giants chiefs, the chiefs playing their worst football they've played in forever. So we'll see <laughs> how that impacts this game. All right. Thanks to everybody tuning in again. Follow us on Twitter. I'm sorry. Yeah. On Twitter, you know where to find us Instagram and why big blue banter. 
YouTube, go over to Big Blue, YouTube, type in Big Blue Banter, find our logo, and you can follow us there. And then finally, leave us a rating review and a five-star review and a rating on, or I'm sorry, a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Please help us out, help us grow. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.